Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together. Callum, Katie, well done again. Thank you guys for leading us. Um, before I get going, I just want to give one notice to say that... What's the date today? The 14th? Yep, next Sunday and the following Sunday. So the next two Sundays, we're going to be taking up a special offering. We do this a couple of times a year. Um, this is over and above our general giving. Um, and we really feel that there's three specific areas we want to, um, to give into at this point in time. One of which is we want to continue to keep our commitment to our friends in Burundi. Um, the update of just Donna's recent trip is in the magazine. Please pick up a copy if you haven't read it. And right now, we really are um, so keeping people alive through the finance that we give, numbers of people. And so we really feel that's important. We want to um, continue to do that. So that's one of the areas we're giving into. Also, we want to give into our wider family of churches, Regions Beyond. We are partnered with them and... And they with us, and we want to play our part in helping reach the poor, see churches planted, unreached people groups, um, into unreached people groups. And, and part of our commitment to that is that we want to give financially into that also from, among, sorry, excuse me, from amongst us. Um, so that's the second component of what we want to give into. And then thirdly, we want to um, continue to support Donna Bloomfield um, financially. So... There's a brief update in the magazine that some of you may have read about Donna's role and her changing role in the days ahead. Um, and just so you know, Donna is not actually employed by Gateway. She's not a member of staff here. We do give her a, a, um, an amount of money every month just to help her financially, but it by no means goes to cover her living costs at all. Um, and we really feel like that we want to, um, as Donna's taking on a, a greater role here, we want to increase our support to her in these days. And actually also, as she steps up her role within Regions Beyond, our family of churches, Regions Beyond is also going to help finance and support her. We all live by faith. Wherever our salary comes from, we live by faith. Everything we have comes from God. But nonetheless, Donna is really month by month trusting God for her finances. And so we just feel we want to support her at this time um, and to step up in that. So that is next Sunday. Can I encourage you to Please think, pray about how and what you will give. Um, and do you know, I, Emma and I, when we look at our finances and work out where are we, what do we want to give, we don't just do it on the ad hoc as these things come up. We plan our finances at the beginning of the year. What do we want to give out of our finances this year? Can I encourage you to have a big overview of your finances the same, that it's not just, oh, what have I got this week? For some, that's the reality. I realize that. And it's easier said than done. But can I encourage, as we're thinking about giving, that, that we are those who steward our finances well and plan well. And so that we can be those who also give generously to what God is inviting us into. Right. We are carrying on in Daniel this morning. Um, I'm really aware that we've had a couple of good fun weeks, stories being shared, um, people being prayed for great worship, and that this morning we're coming to Daniel 8, which isn't the most, oh, it's exciting, it's not the easiest of passages in the Bible. It's a challenging passage, it's hard, the message of it is hard, it's quite serious, um, and I realize it can feel like a, a gear shift, 
And kind of like some people might be thinking, oh, last week was so much better when we just heard stories and Colin was shut up for a week and this, that, the other. Can I just encourage you as we come into Daniel chapter 8 that we need to hear the message of Daniel chapter 8 this morning. We need to hear what God has chosen to speak to us about, the things that he said it's important you know and understand these things. We are not to be those who merely survive and exist on on just high Sundays. We love to gather and celebrate and share stories and worship and preach and use gifts and build one another up in faith and and build community together. Absolutely, I love that. We love that. That is utterly our heart. But our faith doesn't rest on... Oh, that was a good Sunday. And if your faith rests on, ah, oh, that was a good Sunday last Sunday, I'm set up for the week, then you're going to struggle when some of the storms and realities of life bite. And as an elder in a local church, my concern is much more, not, be, not for you guys right now, right here, because you're here. Whether, whether life's good or a struggle right now, you're here. Well done. Keep gathering together as God has called us to. But my concern is, what happens when faith is under fire? What happens on a day when faith is tested? Are we those who are loyal to Jesus? Hey, it's it's great gathering together. It's quite easy to be loyal to Jesus right now, isn't it? It's quite fun gathering and worshipping. But what happens on the day when persecution comes? Or when life gets hit by something and and it tests your faith? And my concern is that in those moments, that we are a community of people who cling to Jesus Christ. That our faith, though it is shaken, we are, we are confident and secure in him. And so I, I hope that this, this morning, we, as we grapple with Daniel chapter 8, that we are built up and encouraged through the message of it. So... Daniel chapter 8, as you, as you hopefully will remember when, a couple of weeks ago now when Nigel was preaching from Daniel chapter 7, Nigel mentioned that we're coming into a different style, a different genre of Daniel. So Daniel's a book that's split in two halves. The first half is narrative, it's story, it's great stories, exciting stories and exploits of Daniel and his friends and God's faithfulness to them. And then we come into Daniel chapter 7 to 12 and the genre, the type of literature that we're now reading is completely different type of literature. It's called apocalyptic. And you cannot read this kind of literature the same way that you read narrative. So the Bible's got all kinds of genres of literature in it. It's got poetry. And poetry, it gives a sense of meaning, but you don't read poetry like you do a narrative. You have to seek to understand the meaning of the poetry. There's laws, and you don't read laws in the same way that you do poetry. That would be quite amusing in a court of law that, oh, I just treat it like poetry. No, laws are to be treated like laws. Poetry, you read it and understand it's poetry. Narrative, you understand it's a story, often that's conveying what God is doing with any given person at any given time. And there's other genres, wisdom, literature, and each type of genre you treat differently in the way that you seek to understand what God is communicating through his word. And apocalyptic is another genre of literature. And It's present here in the second half of Daniel. It's present in the book of Revelation. It's present at a couple of points in Matthew when Jesus is talking about the end of the age and what to expect about the temple and things like that. And and this kind of literature is basically, it's a revealing of things that are unseen. 
So we live in a seen world. We, we live in a seen creation. I see you, you see me. We see things going on day by day right across the face of the world. But the Bible makes it clear that there is also an unseen creation. And apocalyptic literature, it takes, if you like, otherworldly imagery. So you get amazing imagery. So in Daniel 7, you get these, this sense of these beasts coming out of the sea and, and trampling down one another. You get weird, wonderful numbers that people get very confused over. You get all these kind of imageries and this kind of apocalyptic type world, um, stars falling, the moon turning to blood, all of these kinds of things. And we're not to approach that like narrative. We're to understand we're reading a different kind of literature. And all of these, all of these symbols and signs, that's what they are. They're, they're symbols. They're symbolic of, of telling something that's taking place. I really don't believe we're to take them literally. So dates. Many people get stuck on dates in Daniel and the book of Revelation. But we're to understand that they point to something. In fact, it's God revealing to us what is taking place in the heavenlies. And this is what apocalyptic literature does. It really is a revealing of what is going on in the unseen creation, in the heavenly places. And so as we're reading through Daniel chapter 8, we're going to read about these horns and, and all of these kinds of things. And to us, it doesn't make much sense. If anything, it's not revealing, it's confusing for us. But actually, the message of this second half of Daniel is exactly the same as the message of the first half of Daniel. It's the same message in both halves. It's just told from different perspectives. And so I was thinking of it like this. We, on, our, on our house, we have um, vertical blinds. I won't make a comment on them because some people love them. Um, but you know the ones that you can twist and they twizzle around like, do you know the ones I mean? Yeah. Anyway, we moved in and they were there. Um, <laughs> but the thing with vertical blinds is you can stand in front of them and they could be diagonally open, but to you when you're stood looking straight on, they look shut. Does that make sense? But almost apocalyptic literature is a bit like Jesus coming along and saying, I want you to stand over here. I want you to see from this perspective. And suddenly it looks like the, the blinds are open. Nothing's happened, but you're seeing the same thing from two perspectives. And, and you've got earthly perspective, Daniel 1 to 7. And around this whole story, you've got Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. All of these stories are kind of from an earthly perspective. Some of these things that are going on at this point. And then you've got heaven's perspective. And God, in his wisdom, has deemed that we need both perspectives to understand how we're to live, to understand what God's doing in our generation, in generations past, and generations to come. So, let's read Daniel chapter 8. I will skip through a couple of bits just for speed. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign. So this is Daniel's second vision, and he is back in this vision. He's back at the point of King Belshazzar's reign. You know the guy with the writing on the wall. And he's back there. When he receives this vision. In the second year of King, ba- sorry, the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Chapter 7. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elaine. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. So in this vision, so right now, Daniel is back in the Babylonian Empire. Okay, so that, this is when he receives this vision. King Belshazzar is king, and in this vision, he pictures himself in the capital of the next empire to come. 
You remember that Daniel's full of these stories of kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling, kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling. And in this vision, he's picturing himself in the, next, in the capital city of the next kingdom that is to come, the Persian kingdom. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal. And the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, as it pleased and became great. In apocalyptic literature, when it talks about horns, it's often talking about kings and rulers. This isn't really a story about rams and goats, as we see in a moment. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. So, Daniel is right now in Babylon. His vision is of the next kingdom to come, the Medes and Persians, But in this vision, he sees the end of that next kingdom. And so we see these earthly kingdoms rising up, God establishing them, and then causing their downfall. God rising up a new kingdom, and then causing their downfall. And throughout all of these earthly kingdoms, this is the message of Daniel, kingdoms will come and go, but throughout all of them, the kingdom of God will endure and last forever, and will grow and fill up the whole earth. This shouldn't take us by surprise. This bit doesn't take Daniel by surprise. Yeah, this is what God's already spoken to me about. And then out of one of these horns, one of them, sorry, out of one of these four horns, one of them came, out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east, towards the beautiful land, and by that it means Jerusalem. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on them. So who are the starry hosts? Well, it's, it's you and I. It's the saints. It's God's people. Okay, in this day, it was, it was a Jewish people, but it's the people of God, the starry hosts. Remember that Nigel, when he was talking about Daniel chapter 7, is saying, you are a saint. That's who you are. Well, you're a starry host also this morning. And this, this horn that grew up came and threw some of these down and trampled on them. Then, verse 13, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? And that's a big question that gets asked right through these, this second half of Daniel. How long is it until the kingdom of God really fills the whole earth? How long until all these things finally take place? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice The rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. So one of the holy ones is asking, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? And he said to me, 
It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, even Daniel's trying to understand it, which is good, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. That's the angel Gabriel. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the times of the end. Angels are very real. They're spiritual beings. They are right now existing and doing the will of God. And they both deal in the unseen spiritual world and in the seen spiritual world. And at times they do and have appeared to people. They are very real. It doesn't work well with our modern Western mindset. But the Bible has no problem with angels at all. And I don't have any problem with angels whatsoever. And angels are incredibly comforting, but also incredibly intimidating. They are mighty, powerful spiritual beings. Do not think of them as mere cherubs with harps floating on fluffy clouds that look like fat little babies. That is the wrong picture. That is not an angel. Angels are mighty warriors. Intimidating, to the point that they cause armies to fall and collapse before them. And the angel Gabriel said, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. I just want to clarify what he means by the end there. He's not meaning the end of this age when Jesus returns. He's actually talking about, as we see in just a moment, the time of the end of the persecution that's about to come on the Jewish people. And he's saying this vision that, I've rece- that you've received is about the ending of that persecution of the people of God. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Isn't it nice when the Bible explains what on earth it's going on about sometimes? The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is, its, is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represents four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intri- intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. And the prince of princes really is Jesus against God. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Just as a side note here, I just want to say to you, our job is not to destroy evil. Our job is not to fight against Satan. Jesus has already done that. He's already defeated it at the cross. Satan, demons, evil, sin, death, it was nailed to the cross. And Jesus held it up as a spectacle and, vict- and he was victorious over it in his death and resurrection. 
The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true. But seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. In fact, in other versions it says, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. So, an incredibly amazing piece of writing, but also incredibly complex. And so I just really quickly, I want to tell you what refers to what, what's going on in this story. The goat at the beginning that we hear about. Well, the first thing is the ram, and that represents the Medes and Persians. And then we hear about this, this goat that comes bounding from the west without even touching the floor. It, it's this kingdom that emerges with such power and speed that it, it's though it doesn't even touch the floor. It's just not there one moment, there the next moment. And this goat, theologians and historians would agree, refers to Alexander the Great. We have the privilege of hindsight with these things and history. And in just a few years, you'll know if you know anything about Alexander the Great and history, that he defeated the Persians, and along with that, he conquered the known world from Greece right across to northern India. This guy, he died by the time he was 32. He had incredible success. He was great in that sense. His influence was great. His power was great. He wanted to go further into India, but his general said to him, no, the troops need to go back home and spend time with their families. So he relented, but, but he died young. And in his death, just as this prophetic word says that this, this horn will rise up, but it will be broken off. That's another way of saying he dies. And in his place, his kingdom will be divided into four regions. And it's exactly what happened in history. So the prophetic word there is true. And then we read about from one of these four regions would rise another horn. Who, and this, this horn, this ruler, would be a horrific persecutor of the Jewish people. And Daniel's being warned about this in his vision. So it's not just in a couple of years' time. He's, his vision is concerning a couple of hundred years' time. When the Greek Empire has taken center stage of the known world at that time. And this horn, most theologians would agree, points to a Greek ruler at the time of one of these provinces called Antiochus Epiphanes, around 170 BC. And so he came up from one of the provinces of Alexander the Great's empire. And this guy, he devoted everything about himself to, to destroying the people of God, to destroying the Jewish people. He, was, he hated God and he hated God's people. And he was to bring on the people of God a persecution unlike any they had ever seen before. And he succeeded. He abolished all their festivals. He martyred the leaders. He abolished the sacrifices. Anyone who kept the Sabbath, remember that was a command to the people of God, obey the Sabbath, observe it. Anyone who kept that would be fined and imprisoned. And he desecrated the temple. He sent his soldiers into the most holy of holies. He tried to wipe out the faith completely. And so, the, so Daniel is horrified by this vision. And the angels are saying, how long will this take place? And we're given a time. We said, we're told it takes 2,300 mornings and evenings. And if you work that out into years, it's six and a bit years. And it's quite unspecific, actually. The Bible often with dates is quite specific. But here, it's saying it would take somewhere between six and seven 
years of intense persecution. And so Daniel is overwhelmed. The Jewish people will face an intense persecution, a satanic persecution, an evil persecution. And to them, I just want you for a moment to think. We, we, we think of um, Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. I, I imagine if you're caught up in the midst of that, that feels like the end of the world. We're so too here for, for God's people, this would have felt like the end of the world to them. This would have felt like the end of the world. But it wasn't. Jesus was yet to come. And we know that it's, it's fascinating that the book of Revelation, it's like a parallel message of Daniel. It's saying the same thing. That this age, the end times that we live in, I don't mean the very last moment just as Jesus is returning. I mean the time between Pentecost and Christ's return. The Bible calls that the last days, that whole period of time. And we know because the Bible makes it clear. Daniel makes it clear. Revelation makes it clear. We know that these times will be punctuated by, ser- by moments of incredible, intense persecution on the people of God. Happy message, eh? We look across the world, and that is absolutely true today. There are Christian groups across the face of the planet right now who are facing intense persecution for being followers of Jesus. I don't want to get stuck on this. This is something for another day. But I want you to know, the Bible also does talk... So, so, so this Antiochus Epiphanes, he was an incredibly evil guy. And in one sense, he was an antichrist. He's not the antichrist, but he was a type of antichrist. He was a forerunner, if you like, of what antichrists will look like. People who are against God and against God's people. And the Bible talks about that one day there will be an antichrist who comes. And in, one, in 2 Thessalonians, it talks about a man of lawlessness who will come. And his character will be similar to to this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. And he will bring intense persecution. And you can get many, many, many books and many, many, many websites that, that find a magic code hidden in the Bible. And, oh, if you look at this code I've discovered in the Bible, it points to that. I'm not going to name anybody because it's not worth it. But it used to be Europe was the Antichrist, but now it's Islam. Oh, no, it's not Islam. It's now something else. And many people devote many, many hours to finding out who is the Antichrist and when will Christ return. Can I make it this plain and simple to you? God tells us that we need to be aware of these things, but that we're not to become obsessed with them. He tells us them so that we're informed, so that when persecution comes, when life hits the fan, that we can stand faithful to him because the Bible is a message of hope. That God's kingdom is the kingdom that rises up ultimately. There will be a day, one day, when a man of lawlessness comes. But you will not know, even if he came next week, you will not be able to point to him and say, oh, that's the Antichrist. The final one. The only way that you will know that it is the Antichrist that the Bible talks about as the final one is because Jesus comes and finally defeats him and brings the end. And then the end. We don't talk about this spiritual unseen battle that much. And it's not wrong to talk about it. Please don't think I'm saying it's wrong to talk about it. But to become obsessed with it is unhelpful. So in just a couple of minutes, I want to just ask, what was Daniel's response to this? Because there are some incredible lessons that we are to respond to when we see the suffering of God's people. Firstly, Daniel did not understand his own vision. I I find that a great relief. 
There are parts of the Bible that are easy, and there are parts of the Bible that are incredibly hard. And right at the end, verse 27, Daniel writes, it was beyond understanding. Well, Daniel, you've just been given an explanation. Yeah, but it was beyond understanding. If Daniel could not understand, we don't have to get every part perfectly clear to understand. There are parts of the Bible that are hard for us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All passages are equally profitable, but they're not equally easy. That doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to understand them and have a good interpretation, but it does mean that you don't have to know everything about everything in the Bible to understand what must I do to be saved. Everything that requires that the Bible talks about around salvation is utterly clear, even that children can understand it. That Christ Jesus is Lord and Savior. That he died in our place. And that as we place our faith in him, we are justified by that faith. And it's just as though I never sinned. My sin is forgiven, removed from me. Jesus paid that on the cross. I am cleansed by his blood, forgiven, reconciled with the Father, brought into the family of God, eternally safe and secure in the hand of Christ Jesus. The Bible makes that really very simple. That we can know for certain that we are saved. And so just want to say, Daniel didn't understand everything of his own vision. We don't have to. We should, we should seek to understand, but we don't understand everything. In fact, we, we don't understand everything that we're preaching and teaching on. There will be things that we discover either in the days ahead or when we see Jesus face to face and go, oh, I was wrong on that bit. Yet we seek to be faithful to Scripture. Secondly, Daniel was greatly stirred over what he saw. So Daniel's seen this, this picture of intense persecution. It's not going to affect him. This picture of intense persecution is a couple of hundred years' time from Daniel's life, yet he is moved even to the point of illness and sleeplessness. He's emotionally, physically, and spiritually spent at this vision. Why? Why why was he suffering? Daniel understands that the people of God are precious to the people of God are precious to God they're the saints they're stars in the night sky they're the holy people that called out once and as Daniel sees the suffering of God's people he is moved to weeping and even sickness I I just I find that astonishing that Daniel's heart for people who, who he's not even going to know. They're generations away from him. And yet his response is to, is to grieve over what they will face in the days ahead. In Daniel chapter 10, in a couple of weeks, we'll see that, that at that point, Daniel receives news that some of, the, some of the Jewish people have been released, given permission to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the walls and the temples. And you can read that story in Ezra and Nehemiah. And he gets a report saying that some of those people who've already gone back, this is in his day, some of those people who have gone back have begun to suffer intense persecution. Intense persecution. You can read about that persecution in Ezra. And it's fascinating that Daniel is seeing from an apocalyptic, a heavenly perspective, earthly realities that we read about in the book of Ezra. 
And Daniel is moved again to sickness and praying. For three weeks, he fasts, he's, he's saddened by what he hears, and he cries out to God for his people. I just wonder when we hear about the persecuted church, if we're moved in any way. There will be people in this room right now who have families, friends, loved ones, who know Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are faithful to Scripture, who no doubt live in nations across this world where they would be persecuted or are being persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. It's incredibly real. People lose jobs, homes, families, livelihoods, lives for the sake of following Jesus. And I just want to ask you this simple question. How concerned are we about the plight of God's people across the world? Do we, do, does it even ever cross our mind? I, I wonder if in our nice, comfy Western context, and this is comfy, we've got much nicer seats than the East, you'll be pleased to know. But in this context, it's so easy, isn't it, to be a follower of Jesus? It's, it just really is so simple. We can even make the room warmer if we want to. We can't make it colder as the summer comes, I'm afraid, but we can just make everything more and more comfy, as though that is what being a follower of Jesus is. Comfy lives. Therapy Jesus. Helps me out. Listen, we've got to make sure that we understand who he is. He is the God over all creation, ruling and reigning, holding creation up by his mighty, powerful word, sustaining you and I right now. He's given us breath in our lungs. Right now, nothing happens in all of creation without God's permission. Both the good bits and the bad bits, the fun bits and the hard bits. He is utterly ruling and reigning and his son, Jesus Christ, is the king over it all. And his kingdom is raising up and filling the whole earth. This is the message of the Bible. And when that happens, then the end will come. But in that, Our history right now is punctuated, as I said, with moments of intense suffering. Can we be those that concern ourselves with the plight of many people across the face of the earth? That we're those that when we see something on the news and we hear about this Christian group or that Christian group are are being persecuted or, or nearly wiped out, that we pause and pray, that we ask God to give us a heart like him, we, we suffer as a local community, don't we? There'll be one who's suffering and struggling with something. And we long to stand with them. We long to encourage them and uphold them. In your own families, we, we want to care for our families and meet our earthly families' need, And that's absolutely right. But so too, we're part of the family of God. And we're to care for them deeply. And when others are struggling and suffering and being persecuted and even losing their life for the name of Jesus Christ, we're to stand and cry out to God for them. I wonder at times if we worry about church being too fun and we forget that we are caught up in a worldwide, seen, unseen creation spiritual battle. And finally, and very quickly, Daniel's response to this vision. Our theology, our understanding of the Bible, our doctrine, if you like, our position on different bits of scripture and how we understand it, take hold of that scripture and interpret it, massively shapes the way that we live. It really does. 
And so some people have a, a theology of the end of the world that says everything's getting worse. There's, there's no hope, but one day Jesus will come back. Let's just cling on. Let's hide away. Let's hunker down in a bunker away from the evil world and everything. That's the way some Christians read in scripture, understand doctrine and theology, and that's how they then live. No interaction with people. Men and women who are going to a lifelong eternity separated from God, hell, of torment and suffering. The Bible does not let us get away with that. Our theology should drive us to engage with the world, to love it and serve it. Yes, even pagan, secular, evil kingdoms of this age. We're to go and serve them. Why? Because it's what we've been called to do. It's what Jesus did, and it's what Daniel did. Listen to this right at the end of Daniel chapter 8. I was worn out, overcome. I lay sick for some days. And then I got up and I went about the king's business. I served the world. I served the king. He's talking about Belshazzar then. That guy who doesn't even have a clue who Daniel is, remember. And he served. Can I just say to you that is who we are called to be? Do not despise your job as insignificant. Do not think of your job as it's just the bill. I hate it. It pays the bills. I hate it. I'd rather do something more significant with my life. I hear people say that often. Well, this is my job, but I'd much rather do something significant. No, you're significant. You're a saint. You're a star in this inky night black sky that is the world that we live in. And you make the job significant. And as you do that job, you are bringing the kingdom to bear in the place that you are. Whether you're stacking shelves or a barrister standing up at the bar, you serve the king. We know that we serve the king of kings, King Jesus. And everything that we do should be done as worship to him to make him famous. So can I encourage you tomorrow, whether, when you go to work or whether it's dropping the kids off at school or whatever it might be, to understand that your purpose, that your calling is to go and be a blessing. Is to say, what do I do in, with, when all of this evil is going on across the world? What do I do when I hear reports? Do we withdraw? Do we say, oh, we, there's nothing we can do. Let's just wait for Jesus to return. No, we go and serve the king. We go and serve our bosses. We go and serve our friends and family. We do the best that we can do with what God has given us. It's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel teaches us that we're to expect trials and tribulations. That's the message of Daniel. Life is going to be full of them. The ages are full of them. Yet the message of Daniel is there is one who can approach the throne of the Ancient of Days. One who has the authority and permission to. And his name is Jesus. And his kingdom is enduring and established. And it is filling this whole world. And his kingdom is the kingdom that outlasts every other kingdom in their rapid rise and fall that in history will be but a mere footnote on the page of history. Would King Jesus, his kingdom will endure forever and ever. And of his name, his glory and reputation will forever and ever increase. There is good news. And that's why this hard message in Daniel chapter 8 is worth saying, because the message is simply this, that there is hope, even in persecution and suffering, that should produce faithfulness in the people of God. That's who we've been called to be. That's what Jesus expects of us. 
So if we could have the band, we're going to spend some time worshipping and celebrating. Be grateful to share communion together. And remember that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for us, gave his body and blood, and that as we take that communion, we remember him. We remember his sacrifice. We remember that he is the true king. He's the prince of prince, the lord of lords, and the king of kings. So can I invite you to stand? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have let us know in advance to expect all kinds of challenging circumstances. And I pray, Father, that we will be found on those days, we will be found to be faithful to you and your son, King Jesus, empowered by your spirit, not wavering in faith, but determined all the more to make Jesus famous, even if by laying down our lives. And so we say, Lord, give us a heart for those right now who are facing such challenges across the face of the earth. We ask this for your glory and that your kingdom may come in increasing measure in our generation. We ask you for a mighty move of God at this time. As we look across the things of the world that are going on right now, we say, God, would you move in power? Would there be a mighty move of God unknown in our generation before across the face of the earth as the eyes of the world are watching on the events of our day, that you might be glorified, that your people might take comfort and joy in who you are and your faithfulness to your promises. Amen. Thank you, guys.